This program is brought to you free of charge by an anonymous benefactor in honor of Saints Thomas Aquinas and Teresa of Avila. Please keep this donor in your prayers. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Spiritual Life on member-supported Restoration Radio. Here is your host. Well, hello, everyone. I am Father Bernard, and this is The Spiritual Life. Today, I will not be interviewed by our usual host, my friend John Thompson, but I will simply speak about today's subject alone. And in this episode of The Spiritual Life, I will continue in line with the past series on prayer. Many of you are waiting for me to finally get to the prayer of contemplation. So don't worry, I will eventually deal with contemplation. In fact, It was the subject of contemplation that made me want to start this whole series of shows on the spiritual life. So it's definitely something that I will get to. Uh, Eventually, I just need time to prepare and to present it as clearly as possible. But before contemplation, I wanted to deal with two acts of devotion that I consider to be extra important, uh, especially in these days. I dealt with the act of perfect contrition in the last episode, and today I wanted to add the other very important prayer or devotion, namely the act which has been called spiritual communion. One of the greatest tragedies in this age of confusion and apostasy has been the attempted destruction of the holy sacrifice of the Mass by the introduction of the Novus Ordo Misae and all the subsequent sacrileges and abominations that followed. And also, what was really a result of the new Mass the erosion or destruction of belief in the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And in great measure, this has been accomplished. For the majority of the world, the true Mass has been completely or almost completely wiped out, and vast numbers of those who call themselves Catholics, even priests and bishops, so-called priests and bishops, do not actually believe in the real presence at all. In these days, very few people can attend the true traditional Mass offered by uh, an unquestionably valid priest who was ordained in the traditional rites by a bishop himself consecrated in the unquestionably valid traditional rites. Because a man, no matter how devout and learned he may be, unless he has been ordained validly, cannot consecrate the Holy Eucharist, even if he uses the correct matter, form, and intention, even if all that's right. If he's not a valid priest, it doesn't work. He has not the power, in which case the faithful only receive bread, not our Lord. And since the introduction of the new rite of consecration of bishops introduced in uh, 1968, uh, which is highly doubtful at best, or rather simply downright invalid, I think there's enough evidence to just simply say it's invalid, this is a tragedy beyond understanding. We live in an age where Traditional Catholic churches are few and far between. Take, for example, my own country of Canada. If I include the SSPX chapels, uh, there are only perhaps three or four mass locations in the large province of Ontario here that I know of. There might be others, and only a handful more across the whole country. 
that's insanity. I believe that my chapel, uh, being a, since I'm associated with the CMRI, and it is it is a set of a contest chapel, and I am a set of a contest. Uh, but I believe it's one of the only set of a contest chapels in all of Canada, except for uh, perhaps a mission chapel out east in Nova Scotia. Thus, in Canada here, uh, very few people can receive Holy Communion often, much less every day. Um, this is a trial for the devout faithful who earnestly desire to assist at the Holy Sacrifice every day, or at least on Sundays, as one should in normal times. But often this is uh, an impossibility due to a lack of priest or too great a distance. So what are the faithful to do? Should they attend the nearby church, even though not fully traditional? No, as it would not be right for a Catholic to attend a Protestant service, so it would not be right to attend the Novus Ordo. It's not an option. In this case, the faithful should stay home and say their prayers at home, not in the spirit of the so-called home aloneers who do not go to church because they do not believe that anyone is Catholic except themselves, of course, or that there are no valid priests out there, or that no priest has authority to administer the sacraments in extraordinary times, uh, which is false, of course. Canon law explicitly gives this permission, supplied jurisdiction um, out of charity. Uh, the supreme law of the church is the salvation of souls. So a valid priest can function. But if one has to stay home, we have to stay home out of simply out of reluctant necessity because there is not a mass to go to. For this reason, my late abbot, Abbot Leonard Gerardina, uh, used to highly recommend what we called the home altar, a small area or room in our home which we set aside as a chapel or prayer area where we can go to have some recollection and an atmosphere of holiness and sacredness. Uh, here, someone can pray the Mass, reading over their Missal, recite the Rosary and other prayers, uh, do spiritual reading and meditation, or just sit or kneel and adore God in silence, just to be alone there. So if we cannot make it a Mass for one legitimate reason or another, this is perhaps the next best thing, and God will accept and bless our efforts. But getting back to the question of communion, what is to be done? That is what people want. That is what people are asking for. If I don't have a Mass to go to, how do I go to communion then? This is a very important subject, and this brings us to spiritual communion, which is, which is a practice that is often forgotten or underestimated. The Catechism of the Council of Trent itself highly recommended spiritual communion. It said, The shepherds of souls should teach their flock that there is not one manner of receiving the admirable fruits of the sacrament of the Eucharist, but there are two, sacramental communion and spiritual communion. So right in the Catechism of the Council of Trent and other spiritual writers talk about spiritual communion. So what is spiritual communion? Let me start with two quotes. The great St. Thomas gives us a brief, but I think really a perfect answer. Spiritual communion consists in an ardent desire of receiving Jesus Christ in the Holy Sacrament and in embracing him with the same love as if you had actually received him. And on to my next quote. At the monastery, I came across an edifying little book called Holy Communion by a Bishop de Giberger. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. De Giberger, written in 1923. He had a couple chapters on spiritual communion, which I found edifying and invaluable, so I will be referring to his work a lot today and quoting from it. He wrote this, What must one do in order to communicate spiritually? 
Is it enough to make acts of faith and love towards Jesus present in the Eucharist? No. We must expressly formulate the desire to communicate, and in order that this desire may be sincere, we must be so disposed that we would communicate sacramentally if it were possible. On the other hand, a simple desire, if deep and sincere, no matter how brief and rapid, is sufficient to constitute spiritual communion. Obviously, the longer the desire is prolonged, the more fruitful is the communion. But by a simple impulse of the heart toward Jesus present in the Eucharist, we communicate spiritually. We participate in the graces of sacramental communion. Unquote. So between these two quotes, one from St. Thomas Aquinas, the other by a Bishop de Giberger, really contains everything on the subject that I'll talk about today, but they need a little bit more explanation. First of all, by spiritual communion, we invite Jesus Christ present in the Blessed Sacrament into our hearts by an act of faith and desire and love. So it's not enough to simply make acts of love towards our Lord, to say, Jesus, I love you, but to also have a desire to receive our Lord sacramentally, to communicate sacramentally, if that were possible. And obviously, it's not possible to receive our Lord in Holy Communion any minute of the day or the middle of the night, for example. Or even if you've received our Lord already, say at morning Mass, for example, you couldn't go to communion again in the afternoon, except if it is in the form of viaticum, when you're in danger of death and are receiving the last sacraments. That's the only time when the laity are allowed to receive sacramental communion twice in one day. But other than that, once a day. And since you can only receive our Lord once sacramentally per day, you can make acts of spiritual communion throughout the rest of the day. Then, as if you had actually received our Lord sacramentally, go ahead and make your thanksgiving. We can and should converse with our divine guest with holy affections, to adore him, to thank him, to praise him, to beg his favors for ourselves and others, or simply to remain in his presence in silent adoration and love. This is truly a communion, as the Council of Trent expressly states, by which we actually participate in a considerable portion of the graces and benefits of the Eucharist when it is not possible to receive sacramental communion. This is what the Council of Trent wrote, quote, Some receive it spiritually. These are those who, partaking in desire of the celestial bread, which is set before them, taste the fruits and the benefit of the sacrament, unquote. So it is an act of spiritual union with the Eucharistic Christ. Of course, by spiritual communion, we do not receive his human nature, his sacred humanity, his body, blood, and soul but it does unite us with his adorable divine person and his divine nature in a, in a secret, mysterious, and special manner. It's, it's sometimes called interior communion, uh, sometimes communion of the heart, invisible communion, mystical communion. It's also called virtual communion sometimes because it does have the power of making us spiritually participate in the fruits of the Eucharist without any external visible sign or action as in receiving our Lord sacramentally. And this is a absolutely tremendous truth. A truth, the truth about spiritual communion should be very consoling for all who truly love our Lord and desire intimate union with Him, but particularly for those faithful who cannot attend Mass and receive Holy Communion as often as they would wish for one reason or another, whether due to lack of availability of priests, the difficulty of travel, financial reasons, sickness, 
they're bedridden, etc. This enables us to always receive our Lord, that there's no excuse not to receive the graces of Holy Communion. However, care must be taken not to omit sacramental communion whenever we have the opportunity, of course. To omit sacramental communion under the pretext that, oh, I'll just make a spiritual communion, and that will take its place. That is to show bad will, or at least a lack of understanding of the very foundation of union with Jesus in spiritual communion, namely the earnest intention to receive him actually whenever it is possible for one to do so. The same would apply to the act of perfect contrition, which we talked about last time. If you can go to confession and receive the sacrament of penance, but you refuse to do so because you mistakenly are relying on an act of perfect contrition, that attitude would vitiate the act of perfect contrition. It shows bad will. In all these episodes, I have always endeavored to show the utter simplicity of prayer, that Prayer does not in and of itself depend so much on this or that formula, but rather on the interior disposition and intention of the heart, and that God sees these inward desires of the heart, even though they may not be articulated with the lips. Our Lord said, God is a spirit, and they that adore him must adore him in spirit and in truth. These truths must always be reiterated, I believe. They should be emphasized, for we're apt to forget them. And we make prayer more complicated or distasteful than it need be. The same goes for spiritual communion. Nothing can be simpler, easier than spiritual communion. If a prayer formula or a certain method is recommended for making spiritual communion, we mustn't feel that we have to use it in order to communicate spiritually. These methods and formulas, and this applies to other private devotions as well, are meant only as helps and suggestions to, to dispose the soul for interior piety. Spiritual communion ultimately rests not on this or that formula, but on the sincere, ardent desire, although perhaps that desire is unfelt, it, it, perhaps without emotion, but a sincere desire of receiving Jesus Christ in the Holy Sacrament. As St. Thomas says, and in embracing him with the same love as if you had actually received him. In that quote I already read from Bishop de Giberger, or Guy Berger, could be Guy Berger, he said this, quote, On the other hand, a simple desire, if deep and sincere, no matter how brief and rapid, is sufficient to constitute spiritual communion. Obviously, the longer the desire is prolonged, the more fruitful is the communion. But by a simple impulse of the heart toward Jesus present in the Eucharist, we communicate spiritually. We participate in the graces of sacramental communion, unquote. So we can use any words we wish to express this desire, such as, Jesus, I love you, come into my soul. But what's important is the sincere desire, the faith that you have that our Lord is present in the Blessed Sacrament, and the love you have for him. Not the words so much, but the desire for our Lord. We can make many, many acts of spiritual communion throughout the day because it really doesn't take a whole paragraph or formula to recite. It's simply a desire of the heart to receive them spiritually because you cannot receive them sacramentally at that moment, to draw them into the soul, as it were, to, to invite him in to your heart, and that is a spiritual communion. That can take a split second. That enables us to be able to communicate hundreds of times a day if you want to, thousands. There's really no limit to gain that grace from our Lord. Even though the, the briefest words, or even merely the simple ardent desire, which I've 
said, is sufficient to communicate spiritually, I did want to give the classical formula given us by St. Alphonsus in order to help form the proper disposition and desire within our hearts for spiritual communion. This is the formula that St. Alphonsus gives us. My Jesus, I believe that thou art truly and really present in the Holy Sacrament. I love thee with my whole heart, and because I love thee, I am sorry for having offended thee. Since I cannot now receive thee sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace thee as if thou had really come, and I give myself entirely to thee. Do not permit me to be ever separated from thee. Unquote. Also, Cardinal Raphael Mary de Val composed this spiritual communion. Quote, At thy feet, O my Jesus, I prostrate myself, and I offer thee repentance of my contrite heart, which is humbled in its nothingness, and in thy holy presence. I adore thee in the sacrament of thy love, the ineffable Eucharist. I desire to receive thee into the poor dwelling that my heart offers thee. While waiting for the happiness of sacramental communion, I wish to possess thee in spirit. Come to me, O my Jesus, since I, for my part, am coming to thee. May thy love embrace my whole being in life and in death. I believe in thee, I hope in thee, I love thee. Amen. Unquote. These formulas are important for many reasons, and I'm not against formulas. They serve a purpose. My reason for emphasizing that they are means to an end is to free the soul, to have that liberty of the child of God that will lead the soul eventually to contemplation. That if you are chained to a formula forever and you don't understand what mental prayer is and that you can pray from your heart directly to God, you'll never be a contemplative. You'll never make real progress in prayer. But a formula is important for many reasons. It teaches us and it forms within us the proper dispositions and motives we should have for spiritual communion. Until a person forms that habit of making this act, a formula is necessary and recommended. But in, in the large picture, spiritual communion simply involves what we habitually do or should do when we actually receive sacramental communion, namely to receive our Lord Jesus Christ with fervor and piety. Uh, we're supposed to ardently desire him to come into our hearts. The trouble is we so often receive communion out of mere routine, almost without thinking about it. We often go because everyone else is going, rather than from a sincere interior desire for union with Jesus Christ. Granted, even from such routine communions, we receive some grace because the sacraments work in us, as the theologians say, ex opere operato. That is, they work in us by the work itself. They bestow grace into our soul to some degree, even without our having fervor or attention. As long as there is no, not the obstacle of a, uh, a known, unrepented mortal sin. However, the graces which we receive will be in proportion to the fervor and disposition and desire of our soul. The more perfect and ardent the disposition and desire, the more precious the grace is received. If our faith is strong and our love ardent and pure, God will show himself very generous to us, increasing sanctifying grace and giving us special actual graces. The same goes for our spiritual communions. However, spiritual communion does not work like the sacraments. It's not a sacrament. It doesn't work like the sacraments ex opere operato, but ex opere operantes, that is, by the work of the worker. So our own dispositions and desire, everything in spiritual communion, all the grace which we receive, as with our other private devotions, really depends on our interior desire and fervor.
this is, in a sense, the beauty of spiritual communion, that we cannot really practice this devotion out of mere routine. We can, of course, recite the mere words of the formula, but such words are not what this devotion is all about. It is essentially the ardent desire to receive our Lord. It is true that sacramental communion is of itself of far greater value, for by it we truly receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's capable of conferring more grace and producing greater fruit than spiritual communion. Yet if we make a spiritual communion with better dispositions, with greater faith, more humility, reverence, love, and desire, it is possible to receive more grace than even by a sacramental communion made half-heartedly and out of routine. This is what the saints and masters of the spiritual life all teach. St. Leonard of Port Maurice says this, quote, Spiritual communion is a treasure which enriches the soul with inestimable wealth and is capable of producing the very same graces as sacramental, and in some instances, greater, unquote. And St. Alphonsus, the great doctor of the church, teaches the same thing. The, the spiritual writer, Venerable Alphonsus Rodriguez, says this, quote, God often bestows the same graces to those who communicate spiritually as to those who really receive under the species. Nay, it may sometimes happen that he who communicates spiritually may receive more graces than he that actually communicates, unquote. And the great theologian Cardinal de Lugo also teaches that, quote, the soul, because of the vehemence of its desires, may sometimes receive greater graces from spiritual than from sacramental communion, unquote. So it's not something that I made up there. Spiritual writers and theologians have, have talked about that, that spiritual communion can sometimes be the source of greater graces because the whole essence of it is that ardent desire, whereas in sacramental communion, you can go out of mere routine and you can take it lackadaisically. Unfortunately, people do that. And this, all this should teach us the, the primacy of desire and love in the spiritual life. This is what God really looks for and what he blesses more than anything else. It follows a pattern here. Catholic theology teaches us about when the sacraments cannot be received. These are the ordinary means of grace, but as St. Thomas Aquinas says, God is not bound by the sacraments and can give grace outside of it. They are the ordinary, principal means, but there are extraordinary circumstances and means of acquiring grace through prayer. And therefore, there is the Catholic doctrine of baptism desire when the sacrament of baptism is impossible, the act of perfect contrition when the sacrament of penance is not possible for one reason or another, and the act of spiritual communion when the sacrament of Holy Communion is not possible. So there's a pattern here. These are not as great as the sacraments for various reasons, but they do substitute it in case of necessity. The two, obviously the sacrament, the baptism of desire is not something you can repeat. It's not, it is simply charity being in the state of grace. It is loving God and he who loves God, God will love, truly love God, not just liking the idea of God, but has true charity in their soul. And as I said in the last episode, uh, the act of perfect contrition, again, that's charity. It is an act of sorrowful charity, sorrowful love, loving sorrow for having offended God, and that you're sorry for offending him because you love him. He cannot resist that. A contrite heart he will not refuse. 
The same with an act of spiritual communion. He will not refuse the soul that really wants him. You desire him sacramentally, and since you cannot receive sacramentally at every moment of the day, any moment, he comes to you spiritually because he, he cannot help but respond to that desire for him. And this is why spiritual communion has always been greatly esteemed by the saints who sought by this powerful and precious devotion to unite themselves to our Lord and to nourish their love for him. So if we wish to rapidly uh, rise to greater union with God and holiness of life, we should make use of this devotion because it draws precious graces into our soul. And best of all, there's no limit to this use of this devotion. We can communicate spiritually every hour of the day, the oftener the better. As we have seen, nothing is more simple and easy than to make a spiritual communion. We can make it anywhere, uh, any time of day or night, as often as you wish. It's not necessary to be fasting. You don't need a priest nearby. You don't have to spend much time. I remember someone uh, asking the abbot whether they had to uh, have their heads covered. Do, um, could they make an act of spiritual communion in the pajamas? Uh, do they have to be fasting? None of that. At any moment, all we have to do is to form the desire to receive our Lord Jesus Christ, present in the Blessed Sacrament, spiritually. And since we cannot receive him sacramentally right at that moment, he'll come into your soul spiritually. This desire can be wholly interior, or we can express it in a longer formula. Or we can, a simple aspiration such as, Jesus, come into my soul, I desire you. It's that simple. To quote that Bishop de Guiberger, he writes, quote, Jesus wishes to enter your heart every day by sacramental communion, yet even that does not suffice him. He would come again and again without ceasing. This divine desire is realized by spiritual communion. Every time you desire me, he said to St. Mechtild, you draw me to you. A desire, a sigh, is enough to make you possess me. Our Lord has often revealed to saintly souls, and in different ways, his ardent desire to unite himself with us. To St. Margaret Mary, he said, Your desire to receive me has so sweetly touched my heart that if I had not already instituted this sacrament, I should have done so at this moment in order to give myself to you. Our Lord charged St. Margaret of Cortona to remind a monk of the words of St. Augustine, Believe, and you will have eaten. That is to say, make an act of faith and desire towards the Eucharist, and you will be nourished by that divine food. To the blessed Ida of Louvain, during a, a Mass at which she could not communicate, Jesus said, Call me, and I will come. Come, O Jesus, she cried at once, and felt herself filled with happiness, as though she had really communicated. And after a spiritual communion of which she tasted the full delight, St. Catherine of Siena heard our Lord say to her, in such a manner and place as may please me, I can and will. I am able marvelously to satisfy the holy ardors of a soul that desires me. This desire of Jesus to unite himself to us is infinite and all-powerful. It knows no other obstacle than our liberty. Unquote. Like I said, Bishop de Guiberger has excellent, excellent thoughts in regard to spiritual communion. So this is an ideal devotion to use throughout our busy day. Uh, for often we simply don't have the time or opportunity to kneel down and recite a long prayer. If you're at work uh, in the factory, in the office, you can't just be kneeling down saying this, this uh, a long formula, or you have to keep focused. All you have is a few seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds. That's how long it takes for this 
this act of spiritual communion. It can be made during any work or occupation whatsoever. There's really no time or occupation in which we should feel guilty about praying. St. John Vianney said, do nothing that you cannot offer to Jesus. So the same thing would apply to this prayer. It can be done anywhere. We should often communicate spiritually in the course of the day. If you wake up during the middle of the night, make an act of spiritual communion. It's especially recommended to be made during Mass before you actually communicate. Stir up the desire in your heart to receive our Lord. Also, when you visit the Blessed Sacrament, say holy hours, before going to sleep, uh, on rising in the morning, in times of danger, maybe in, in, uh, before long trips, in, in sickness, at any time whatsoever. It is said that Blessed Angela of the Cross used to make a hundred spiritual communions every day and the same every night. And some may wonder how she could make so many. And St. Augustine gives us the answer. He said, give me one that loves and he understands what I say. So in other words, give me a soul that loves nothing but Jesus Christ, that truly wants to be united with God himself. And give me a soul that knows what love means. And it won't be surprising that that desire comes because love craves union. So if you love our Lord, if you want to grow in the love of our Lord, desire him. And it feeds the love and the love feeds the desire and you grow in holiness. There are so many fruits derived from this devotion. And on this topic, I wanted to read to you again from Bishop de Guibarget, who summarizes it so well, better than I can. Quote, how to express the innumerable fruits which spiritual communion brings us. All is summed up when we say that it is a communion, that is a participation in the Eucharist and the graces of sacramental communion. The first effect of spiritual communion is therefore to increase our union with the humanity and the divinity of the Word made flesh. This is its principal effect, its essential advantage. All other graces received proceed from this. Briefly, they are as follows. Spiritual communion also has a wonderful efficacy in effacing venial sins and remitting the penalties of sin. Pious souls who communicate spiritually often and well will be exempt from the flames of purgatory. Jesus will bear them straight from earth to heaven, as he did the soul of Joan of Arc, which was seen at the moment of her death to mount directly to paradise in the form of a pure white dove. Spiritual communion will give to those souls which have communicated well a surprising glory in heaven. Our Lord told St. Gertrude that every time we regard the sacred host with devotion, we augment our eternal happiness, preparing for ourselves blessings above in proportion as we have multiplied our desires full of love and longing for the Holy Eucharist here on earth. Souls that have often communicated in spirit will shine in heaven with a peculiar splendor and will taste especially joys sweeter and more holy than those known to others. Spiritual communion day by day increases our desire to receive Jesus urges us to sacramental communion, prevents us from missing it by our own fault or negligence, sends us to sacramental communion more frequently, and disposes us to communicate better and to receive more abundant fruits therefrom. Spiritual communion is, according to the testimony of all the saints, the best preparation for sacramental communion. Remember, too, that spiritual communion may be offered for the sake of our neighbor, either on behalf of the living or the dead. St. Margaret Mary recommended spiritual communion on behalf of the souls in purgatory. You will greatly comfort these poor afflicted souls, she said, by offering spiritual communions on their behalf. 
in order to redeem the bad use they have made of sacramental communions. Finally, you must understand that you receive all these benefits and graces which flow from spiritual communion according to your dispositions, that is, according to the value of your desires. The more intense your desire to communicate, the purer, the more prolonged, the more fully will you participate in the fruits of the Eucharist and all the favors which we have enumerated, and this without other limits than the ardor, extent, and keenness of your desires. Unquote. So in this age of apostasy, confusion, indifferentism, and the difficulty of attending the true Mass, the faithful must come to set a high value upon the practice of spiritual communion. It was the only possible form of communion for the early Christians who were often unable to attend daily Mass in the time of persecution. And it has been the communion of the imprisoned, of the martyrs, of the hermits throughout the ages. And it is or may become the only form of communion for many of us in the future. We have to be prepared for that. We have to understand what spiritual communion is, put it into practice now, because one day you may not have access to a priest. Many of us already do not have access to a priest as often as we wish, and maybe it will even get harder as time goes on. To those who have understood the central place of the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the most Blessed Sacrament in Christianity, the doctrine of spiritual communion gives them, gives us, a means of sharing in the fruits of the sacrifice and the Holy Eucharist wherever they may be, for the greater glory of God and for the redemption and sanctifications of souls, their own first and foremost. St. Leonard of Port Maurice says, By it, many souls have attained a high perfection. So the sick, or those not near a church, or anyone who has some other legitimate reason, physical or moral reason for the impossibility of communicating sacramentally, practice and benefits of spiritual communion should be most consoling. And this is very important today where so many people are coming down with gluten intolerance, where when they do receive Holy Communion, they have a reaction. Because remember that even though we believe in transubstantiation, that that the substance of bread changes to the body and blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord, the accidents of the bread remain. So the same effects will uh, take place in you as though gluten were present. So people are affected in a negative way, not all the time, but it does happen. And then you have people avoiding going to Holy Communion because they have this terrible physical reaction, unfortunately, but they shouldn't lose courage. Because that is a reason of that is a legitimate reason, health wise. So that would put them in this situation where should be encouraged making spiritual communions. Our Lord knows what they're going through. It's part of his divine providence for them, trying to increase in them that desire for our Lord that they should have. Pope Pius the Twelfth wrote this. The Church wishes, in the first place, that Christians, especially when they cannot easily receive Holy Communion, should do so at least by desire, so that with renewed faith, reverence, humility, and complete trust in the goodness of the Divine Redeemer, they may be united to Him in the spirit of the most ardent charity." Unquote. If spiritual communion is made with great fervor, it, it, it will drive boredom from the soul, sadness out of the soul filling us with peace and serenity. It will powerfully help us to receive the Holy Eucharist with more fervor. It will greatly increase our union with our Lord. A spiritual writer by the name of Father Perret wrote this, quote, How praiseworthy 
it would be if this form of devotion were more widespread, especially among those who are deprived of sacramental communion. It is regrettable that many people, even those who demonstrate great piety, do not seem to appreciate this form of devotion. They would not overlook it if they were more concerned about their progress in virtue. Unquote. Unless we approach the spiritual life as a personal and loving intimacy with God, and that's what it is, a romance with God, a falling in love with God, an absolute trust and abandonment to Him, it's almost inevitable that we will aimlessly drift along and become discouraged in the spiritual life. And it's here more than anywhere else that the truth shall set us free. And the truth is this, the road that leads to union with God is love. For God is love itself, and they who abide in love abide in him and he in them. Love or charity, divine charity, is the essence of holiness and the only way that leads to it. And whether it's due to a misunderstanding, a false humility, a Jansenistic reverence, or an exaggerated fear, or just plain ignorance, failure to accept this truth and absorb it is what hinders so many from giving our blessed Savior the generous love of intimate friendship that his sacred heart so earnestly desires. Love is what our Lord wants. Love is what our Lord wants from us. He wants to be desired. Desire is a form of love. Our Lord wants to be desired in Holy Communion, both sacramentally and spiritually. So desire our Lord. Desire our Lord. Desire him spiritually. Again, I will close this talk with the words of Bishop de Guiberger from his devout little book, Holy Communion. Our Lord is in the Eucharist for us, and his desire is to come into us, to be wholly ours, to possess us, to live in us, is a supreme desire that asks only that it may satisfy itself. I am consumed with the desire to give myself to you, said our Lord to the Venerable Jean Marie of the Cross, and the more I give myself, the more I desire to give myself anew. After each of your communions, I am like a pilgrim devoured with thirst to whom a drop of water is given, and who is thereby made to thirst yet more. It is thus that I aspire continually to give myself to you. Jesus addresses these very words to each of us. Jesus had multiplied miracles in order to enclose himself in the host that he may give himself to us. What does it cost him to work one more miracle, to give himself to us directly without the intervention of the sacrament? Is he not master of himself, of all his graces, of his divinity? And if, being called by a few words, he descends from heaven into a host between the hands and at the will of a priest, will he not descend directly from heaven into our hearts if he is called by the ardor of our desire? O marvelous power of the human soul, O power of a sincere desire inspired by love, power which allows each one of you to realize for yourself in a certain manner what the priest accomplishes for all the faithful. Hagar flying to the desert and seeing that her child was dying of thirst, sent up a despairing cry to heaven, and a spring of pure water welled forth immediately to save mother and child. Cry, therefore, to God, telling him your desire, and God will reply to you in causing a spring of eternal life to well forth from his heart to sanctify your soul. A poor savage has no priest to baptize him, but he sends the voice of his desire up to God. Behold, him baptized. The poor sinner turns to God. In the midst of her confusion, she lifts up her eyes towards the infinite goodness. She thirsts for love and forgiveness. Behold, she is forgiven. You cannot approach the holy table. Either you have already communicated or some obstacle prevents you. Gaze upon the host in the tabernacle 
and thirst for Jesus, say to him, Jesus, come, I die without you. Jesus will hasten, you will have communicated. During Mass, the priest takes the host between his hands, he recollects himself, he bows himself, and he speaks a few words. Immediately the heavens open. Jesus hastens at the voice of his friend who calls him. Behold him between the hands of the priest, and you, pious soul, meditate profoundly. Shape an ardent wish within your heart. Touched and urged by this desire, Jesus will hasten to his well-beloved. Behold him in your heart. O ineffable goodness, O infinite generosity, O unbounded munificence, O bewildering love, it is no longer God who is sovereign master, and the creature is no longer servant. The creature becomes the sovereign mistress of God, and God makes himself the eager and obedient servant of the creature. I come not among you, said Jesus, to be served, but to serve. Spiritual communion is truly an infinite power given to the creature over the Creator, to the pious soul over Jesus. Father Faber is right. Spiritual communion is one of the mightiest powers in the world.